Hello, welcome to the first episode of the podcast by Houston Interpreters and Translators Association, or HITA. I am Veronica de Michelis. And I am Nora de Palma. Since this is our very first episode, we would like to start by introducing ourselves. My name is Veronica. I am primarily a translator and work from Russian to English and from English to Russian, and I'm ADA certified from English to Russian. I serve as Professional Development Director for HITA and a Podmaster for the ATA Slavic Languages Division. I'm Nora De Palma, Interpreter and Translator for Immigration and the Washington Post. I'm currently on the HITA board and seeking my certification in court interpreting. Our guest today is HITA's current president, Etta Trabing. Welcome, Etta. Hi, thank you very much. Looking forward to this. Hi, Etta. Nice to have you today. Thank you. So what made you decide to become a professional translator? Well, when I arrived in the U.S. in 1963, I worked for the University of Houston as a bilingual secretary in the personnel department. Lots of Spanish-speaking workers and gardeners would come to personnel, and I inherited them all because I was the only Spanish speaker. Then my boss gave a talk to a group from Brazil about how to run a university full-time rather than part-time. The USAID department needed an interpreter for him, so I volunteered, as I had time to write out his speech in Portuguese. I figured I could read mine, same as he read his. I had never done simultaneous, only consecutive, in all my secretarial jobs in Argentina, and then had learned Portuguese living in Brazil. I found one tiny little book at the University of uh, Houston Library in French from the University of Geneva, written by Danika Seleskovic, who was very involved with the United Nations at that time. And I learned a lot from that. I just dove in and somehow it worked out all right. From then on, I was the interpreter for the Brazilian contingents. The USAID on campus was giving these conferences for a week or two every six months. That gave me the idea that I might be able to use my languages as a career. Then I found ATA through newspapers from New York. This was prior to the internet, obviously. And um, in 1970, Berlitz and my World Translators Agency were the only ones in Houston. I love translating and interpreting, but I did not like running an agency, so I sold it. And with four young boys in the house, I became an at-home translator and a daytime interpreter for the federal courts. So when you were starting out, what was one piece of advice that you wish someone would have given you? At the time that I started, there were hardly any interpreters in Houston, so there was really no one to ask. But today, my advice to a starting translator interpreter would be, be prepared to study hard for the rest of your life. And with every day, you will have broader knowledge and become a better translator interpreter. And now that I'm getting really old, I can still sit at my desk and translate and earn income. I stopped court interpreting 20 years ago when the words didn't come as quickly as I needed them anymore. I didn't think it was fair to my client whose lives and families' incomes depended on interpretation in the federal court. Another comment is to get involved with other translators and interpreters. We all learn something new every day from each other. The more you know about your profession, the more professional you will be. Think of your clients first and foremost every time and all the time. In every job you do, their life and livelihood is at stake, not ours. 
What was the most challenging situation that you've encountered in your career? And what about the most rewarding one? So the most uh, rewarding was the federal court case was the Joe Campos Torres case. He was a Vietnam uh, veteran from Houston, army soldier, 23 years old. Look it up online if you want the details. I interpreted the federal civil rights case led by Dr. Lupe Salinas, an assistant U.S. attorney at that time. In 1977, Campos Torres was thrown into Buffalo Bayou by six Houston police officers after being drunk and disorderly in a bar. That is Campos Torres, not the officers. He was in uniform and he drowned when his army boots filled with water. There had already been a state court case, but I was to interpret for his grandmother, who identified him after he was found in the bayou. This 90-year-old lady and I sat waiting in the witness room for a couple of hours before we were called in. We talked a little about her long life. She was an incredibly remarkable woman. When she stepped into the witness box and Dr. Salinas started questioning, it became the most fascinating interpretation I had ever done. Anger, sorrow, emotions, slamming the fist on the table, all sorts of things. She was a joy to interpret for. And she won the case with the jury. They were flabbergasted. Now, um, the more challenging one was actually a written translation that was given to me in North Carolina in the 1990s through an agency there. After reading the document, I had to decide whether I could do a good job on a subject that struck my soul in the most negative way. A tobacco company's report on what they were really sending to the north of Argentina, to the tobacco farmers there. The tobacco was a very high nicotine level that would be twice as addictive. Having been born in Argentina, I was so incensed that nobody would be told the truth and I couldn't do it. I sent it back to the agency with regrets. And I had been a smoker for many years, from the 50s to the 70s. I had learned that my interest and my soul needed to be in every job I do. If not, I won't do it well. I have uh, never taken a child abuse case in my life because I cannot be impartial in a case like that. But I am very grateful that there are other interpreters who are willing to do so. So, Etta, you wrote several books. Could you share with us which one you enjoyed writing the most? Actually, I enjoyed writing all of them. And there are, I think, 24 or 25 now. I tried to make them interesting and useful to upcoming interpreters and translators. But I must admit, the one that I am enjoying the most now is the third edition of the Pan American Livestock Dictionary. I'm a country girl from the Pampas, and my main interest has always been cattle, horses, sheep, and goats. In this edition, however, I had to add the American bison, water buffalo, all the types of deer, llamas, and alpacas, as there are now so many private ranches in the U.S. that provide meat and hair to the rest of the world. And since the second edition 30 years ago, we now have the internet to go for information. All the genetics that have come to the forefront are now used for livestock as well as for people, and they needed to be included. The book is getting so huge, I'm at 700 pages, that I had to separate the ruminants from the horses, make that parts one and part two. And I'll keep writing as long as I still can. 
what changes would you like to see in our profession in the near future? Well, I would love to see people taking translation and interpreting seriously and professionally and not just as a short-term job because they happen to be bilingual. I wish Texas did not have the basic and master certificates. By allowing someone to pass with 60%, which means that that person is missing 40% of what is said, that's almost half of what has been said. So I'm very sorry for their clients, and I wish Texas would get rid of that. I wish more people would pass the ATA certification in translation. Some of the things I've seen during the last 50 years were hopelessly full of major errors. I asked one translator years ago what dictionaries she used, and she said she knew all the words, so why buy a dictionary? Back in the 1980s, one person who translated a legal document for me did not bother to rewrite the final copy. This was before computers, but it still doesn't matter. She just glued bits of paper all over the lines that she had changed, and it was the most horrible mess ever. She sued me when I refused to pay her, and when her lawyer called me about it, I sent him what she had sent me. I never heard from either one again. I wish professionals would proofread their work carefully and use the spell check properly. Such little things that don't usually take a lot of time, but what a difference in the finished product. I am just uh, reading a book. Every single page has at least two errors in it. And, and that is just unnecessary. Braniff Airlines, that was before, oh, this was back in the 70s, um, once translated fly on leather when they changed their seats. And in Spanish, it came out as vuele en cuero, which actually means fly naked. <laughs> they flew hundreds of flights to South America every week. And never anybody checked or said anything <laughs> that the translation wasn't accurate. I'm just old-fashioned because I have better control over my work by not using computer translations. Today, everybody wants everything immediately, and the mistakes just flock in. If we are to be a profession, we should be professionals about it. I couldn't agree more, Etta. Yeah. So... Going back to HITA and our association, what does HITA mean to you as a language professional in the Houston area? Well, I'm glad that HITA was founded by the time I came back from the Carolinas because I had served as the president of CADI, which was the Carolina Translators Association. It's service to the local community, which needs translators and interpreters, and a way for these translators and interpreters to have an inexpensive place to advertise their skills is wonderful for both parties. We have four different associations in one large state who actually work together. This is also great for Texas. The most popular programs are the educational and social programs. We get to meet each other and answer questions for newbies and have a good time doing it. We wouldn't be anywhere without money, and thanks is due to our present and past treasurers who guarded the money well. I'm very proud to have been and continue to be a part of HITA, whether as a board member or just as a member. May the quality of HITA continue for many, many more decades with lots of members participating, sharing, learning, and cooperating with each other. 
We hope you enjoyed our first episode of the Hita podcast. If you have ideas or requests for future episodes, please contact us at development at hitagroup.org or editor at hitagroup.org. Thanks and have a great day.